Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. ESPN Radio, Matt Jones, Michelle Smallman, presented by Progressive Insurance. Trade deadline is two hours away. By the way, some breaking news per Jeff Passan. The Philadelphia Phillies are in agreement to acquire Michael Lorenzen from the Detroit Tigers. He's had a great year, was an all-star. He will now join the Phillies, who are clearly in buy mode. We will do more baseball trade deadline uh, as they develop, but we were talking there about the Browns. Cleveland Browns are a team, Michelle, that – you know, I'm not going to say that I enjoy watching. I think they have the most passionate fans of a team that has given them very little back in return in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But this year, like a lot of years, they'll look at you and say, you know what? This is the year we turn it around. Do you think with Deshaun Watson and this group they have, they can improve in what is a very tough division? So I go back and forth on this one, Matt, with Deshaun Watson, because those final six games were some of the worst quarterback play that we saw last year. It was really rough. Yes. And it's hard for me to believe that he just lost it. And I think that we'll see a bounce back year from Deshaun, not only because he has a full season uh, of runway to get through, but all of this stuff off the field won't be as omnipresent as it was yes. last year. So I think that he'll be in a different headspace, and I think he's had more time to prepare, and we'll see a better version of him. But also the guy that we're looking at, or we're looking for, I should say, the guy, the quarterback who led the NFL in passing yards at one point, that was like three years ago. It so was. I'm So I go back and forth on this from thinking – this is a, a well-rounded Browns team, and if we see the version of Deshaun that we expect, this is a team that could go far. But then I'm like, it has been a minute since we've seen that from him, and I don't know what to expect. Yeah, there aren't a lot of times that a guy, for whatever reason, doesn't play, and when he comes back, he's as good as when he played. I mean, two-year gaps, which is basically what you were talking about with him after the, uh, the injuries and the suspension. You know, that's just not a good recipe for success right. most of the time. It didn't look good those last six games. And it's hard for people to evaluate Deshaun Watson without talking about their personal opinions just of him and his behavior, et cetera. But if you just look at the football, I think the reality is he's got a year to basically decide. I mean, if he has a year like the six games he just had, you're going to be talking about what do you do next if you're the Browns? Because they're not going to continue. I mean, they're wrapped up in his contract, and that'll be a, a, a crusher for them. But nevertheless, this is a massive year for them, and they are in what I think is the hardest division because every team is competitive. Every team is going to have at least good, if not great, quarterback play, and we don't know what we're going to get from the Browns. 
Yeah, imagine at the end of the season, Matt, if we don't see Deshaun Watson bounce back, and now they have $230 million committed to this guy. You're going to have to fire Kevin Stefanski because you can't move on from Deshaun when you're that financially connected to him. So there is a lot of pressure brewing in Cleveland, and it's all on Deshaun Watson's shoulders. Now, as far as everything else, I mean, that's a team that, had success in the running game. It's had success on the defensive side of the ball. Do you expect those things to stay at the level they've had at times over the last couple of seasons? I do. I think that this is a a well-rounded team. On paper, I really like what the Browns have to offer. But unfortunately, I can't buy in on them if I don't know what to expect from the quarterback. But they do have a lot of good components. And I think that outside of – you're right. They do have a really tough division, but I do think that they're a team that could make the playoffs if everything falls oh, really? correct for them. Yeah, I just think of the AFC. There's so many good teams. Are you pro or con the Browns fan base? They are, on one hand, lovable, dog pound. On the other hand, though, if you ever get on the wrong side of them, they will literally come at you like like a college football fan base. I mean, you know how the worst college football fan bases are. I've only been on the wrong side of the Browns once, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to – I'm never speaking of their name again because I need to have oh, them wow. not – I mean, like, they're, they're vicious. Are you pro or con the dog pound and the Browns fans? So, so pro the dog pound. Okay. I love when a collective group of people cares about anything that much. They really? live and die with anything? this team. Well, maybe not anything. Maybe not anything, Matt. But (laughs) But it's it's sports. It's sports. Um, We were talking about this yesterday. I feel the same way about Taylor Swift fans. I went to a Fish concert for the first time on Sunday. Oh, those people are crazy. I I didn't know one Fish song. I was a clear plus one. It's all the same song. It's all the same song. Was it a song? I don't even know. (laughs) It never stops. It's a a two-hour-and-a-half song. But, yes, they are very committed. But I... Looked around, and I was envious of those people because they were having the time of their lives. Yes, they were all on Mars, but they love this band, and they will follow them around and care about this band forever. Same thing with the Cleveland Browns. No matter what this organization does to them, no matter how poor the play is on the field, they love this team. And I am never going to diss people that love something that much. It reminds me a little bit of the Cardinals. I come from St. Louis. St. Louis lives and dies with the Cardinals, yeah, and sometimes win. they're mean. You Not this year. Not this yeah, year. Yeah, but I mean, like, Cardinals fans like Red Sox and Yankees fans. You get one bad year, you can't act like you've not had the spoiled lifetime of all time. I mean, the Cardinals fans have had a pretty amazing run, especially over the last 15, 20 years, and then going back in history, they are, have won as much as anybody, Right. Yeah, but they haven't won since 2011. It's been 10 oh, years. Oh, 10 no. years. I'm just saying, oh, St. No. Louis is getting impatient. That's all oh, I'm no. saying. The standards well, are different. Matt, so what is your thing? If, you, if it's not the Browns <laughs> and it's not Taylor Swift or Fish, what is your thing that you know you you are the most obsessive about? I have nothing. I'm devoid of obsession, and I leave a, lead a really sad life because of it. I don't care about nothing. anything that much. No, and I'm envious of people that care. I want something that I can love and care about that I'm delusional about. You know, like, that's this is the best time of the year for Browns fans because they're like, if Deshaun can find himself again, maybe we can make the play. Like, I miss that feeling of hope and that feeling of excitement <laughs> and that feeling of commitment and love. I don't have it. 
and I we tried to, to get, manufacture it. And I, we have I, to get you something like that. We have to get you some topic or something <laughs> that you can be obsessive about. So you, because you want the community of I care, do, right? I do, yeah. Yes. Well, we like, will accept you in the University of Kentucky fan base. We oh, are obsessive. Well, why not? You well, because a, I have a, I have a university. I went yeah, to but Illinois. Illinois. No offense. Has, have they mattered <laughs> in a sport in my in twenty years? I mean, hey, the football team is in the best place it's been in many years. The arrow is pointing up with Coach. The best Bielma. place it's been in in many years is like the the Cheez It Bowl, <laughs> isn't it? Like it's not necessarily. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm we have we have uh, self awareness. Okay, we know it's been rough. It's been really rough. I am at the place with Illinois football where I'm just pumped to be in the conversation. I'm just pumped to be competing in the Big Ten. Okay, I'm not going to ask. Are you ask in the conversation? Is there a yes. conversation that includes Illinois? Look at Illinois last year. There were a couple games that they, they could have won. Game day <laughs> no, was coming there, man. I do Let like that. You. I do like the when you talk about your banner year, you go and there's a couple games they could have won. No, they they had a good year last year. Let me pull up their record. No. Here. All right, so Browns, they make the playoffs or no? I'm going to say no because I am not a believer in Deshaun. So I, I do not gonna, think they do. I think they're going to be better, but I think the AFC is so stacked that that still won't be good enough uh, to make a playoff spot. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Mike McCarthy is putting his head coaching career on the line. I've worked with head coaches who are play callers. It is difficult. It's not like we, we've thrown away our playbook and tried to start over or anything like that. I mean, obviously, we've had some success. It's been good having Mike in there. I think he's going to bring an edge to our offense. We're still going to run the football. It's going to be a big part of what we're doing. He's won the Super Bowl and he's been to championship games calling plays, so he knows exactly what it takes. The fact that we're doing this, Mike's calling the plays, this has everything to do with the positiveness around Dak. It's building around Dak. You know, people are very defensive in taking up for Nathaniel Hackett. I'll tell you who everybody will criticize, and that's Mike McCarthy. I work with a guy, <laughs> Meyer Metcalf, on Sunday mornings that is he destroys Mike McCarthy all the time. But the Cowboys and Jerry Jones, they don't seem to mind. They still, they not only like Mike McCarthy, they're giving him more control. He's going to call the plays this year. And you know what? I guess the old saying, if you're going to bake the cake, you might as well pick the ingredients. That's about GMing. I think there's also, if you're going to have to deal with the results, you want to be the one that makes the decisions. Do you think it will have a material impact, Michelle? Uh, so in this scenario, Matt, is it if you bake the cake, you frost it too? Is that what we're getting yeah, Mike McCarthy? I mean, like, he's going to bake the cake and frost it because he's going to call I'm the plays? Gonna have, if, if it's coming out of my restaurant, and I think I'm the best cook there is, then I want to be the one to do it if it's going to decide whether or not my restaurant closes. And I think that's probably what McCarthy thinks. I think Mike McCarthy is a good coach and takes a lot of heat because he is the coach of a franchise that has outrageous expectations and a desperation to win. It's in the air in Dallas. The desperation to win permeates the air. And they haven't gotten it done. And I think that he gets dismissed a lot and I don't think that some some of it is warranted but some of it is not but I don't know if him calling the plays is going to be the thing that tips the Cowboys over the success threshold this season I think more of their success lies in the hands of Dak Prescott and what's happening with Zach Martin is is he gonna come you know I think that is a huge ingredient to the success as well you know 
I think Zach Martin for me is like Quentin Nelson with the Colts in the sense of his name is mentioned so much more than I think it matters in the grands. Like he's the best at his position, but the drop off between him and another guard is going to be a drop off. But I kind of with Jerry Jones, I got to play Micah Parsons. That's to me much more important offensive linemen. You need them. But are they substantially so much better at that position that it's the biggest deal? I think your Dak point's great. And C.D. Lamb sort of agrees with you. He said this on 105.3 The Fan. All the offense is in Dak's hands now. However he's feeling versus the coverage, if he likes the matchup, we're going to call that play. If he likes whatever he likes versus zone, he's going to call that play. So technically it's all in Dak's hands. We move him much faster at a different pace. So it's all in Dak's hands. So it's like the Cowboys have pushed their chips all in. You know what? Mike McCarthy, no more excuses. Dak Prescott, no more excuses. We're going to see, and we're going to find out what happens, and at the end of this year we'll know. I actually think that's good for clarity for this organization because Dak is the quintessential it's all in the eye of the beholder. You can make a case that he's great. You can make a case that he stinks, and you can find sort of the evidence you want. This will be a year where I think you make the final determination for both. If the offense is in Dak's hands, does that mean that it ends up in the opposition's hands right after that? Oh, that's harsh. I'm just saying. He that did lead the, lead the Sean league Payton, that was in interceptions. Like, that was 15. Mean. If you ain't I got no mean. haters, you ain't popping. Yeah, that's right. They I are mean, popping. Like, they are the Dallas Cowboys. They are popping. Mississippi State fans all angry at you because you, you're, you're hating and he's popping. How could you, uh, how could you num- do that? The numbers are the numbers. He was tied for the league league in interceptions last year with 15, and he missed five games with a broken thumb. And he had two more in the playoffs versus San Francisco. True. I mean, the numbers the- are the numbers. And I I would love to see Dak Prescott succeed, but I am concerned about the turnovers. And that would make me nervous if the offense was in his hands based on what we have seen historically from him. I was in, uh, in Dallas when they played that playoff game. And – I thought, you know what? I want to have a, I want to be in like a fun environment. I'm going to go to a Dallas Cowboys like sports bar and watch this game. The amount of, I guess, sort of worry going into the game, and the amount of unease throughout the game, and then the amount of frustration with the turnovers, it made me realize that the Cowboys fan base, which is one I've always sort of gone, good night. These people are a lot. They really are a ball of angst. Like, they really are sort of – it's hard, I think I, – I don't think I've ever had a less pleasurable experience watching a game in a, in, a, in a sports bar than that one because it was almost like their angst and anxiety was being transferred to me because it was so palpable. Really? Yeah. Like, they, they had no enjoyment out of it at all, and I sort of wonder if it's like that because they're, they're worried, like you, that Dak is going to screw up and that Mike McCarthy is going to mess up the clock, and they're just waiting for the next shoe to drop. But doesn't it feel like the shoe has always found a way to drop with the Dallas yes. Cowboys over the past which, couple seasons? Which is why I think they have that angst, because they're just waiting for it to happen. And Chris Canty, he is the host of a show called Canty and Carlin, but recently he's basically been – on Greeny all the time, he says this, that the Cowboys maybe should even consider making a move. Kyler Murray's going to be available this offseason, right? The Arizona Cardinals have waved the white flag before the season starts. They're tanking. They're going to try to get one of those signal callers next year, whether it's Drake May, Caleb Williams, one of those guys from the college ranks. Well, where does that leave Kyler Murray? Certainly he'll be available. His contract, what, he's making $46 million a year? That's starting to look like a bargain for a starting quarterback. 
it would be a young veteran quarterback that presents more in the way of athleticism and overall talent than Dak Prescott brings to the table. Now, I don't know that's going to equate to Dallas being able to do more high-level winning, but my point with Dak is this. If we have to keep asking the question about whether or not he can get the Cowboys to winning a championship, eventually we're going to land on that answer being no. If it doesn't happen in 2023, I don't know that it's ever going to happen for Dak in Dallas. I don't disagree with that. But I also don't know what makes everybody think Kyler Murray so much better. What's he done? I mean, like, you know, that's another guy that I keep getting told is great, and I'm still waiting to see when that's actually going to manifest itself. Absolutely. I think that you would be replacing one set of problems with another. I don't know if that's a solution. If it's not this season with Dak, I'm with Chris Canty. I I don't know how you make the argument moving forward for McCarthy or Dak. I think that the the angst meter, as you put it, is going to be off the charts in Dallas after this season if they have another early playoff exit. But Kyler Murray has so many questions around him. He When he comes back and he gets healthy, what version of him are we going to see? I know that the Cardinals walked it back, but let's not forget the independent study clause that they put in his contract because there was that potential. Was- it's really embarrassing. That, I mean, that's so embarrassing. Like, can you imagine if they leaked? You know, we're going to give uh, Matt Jones and Michelle Smallman, we're going to give them a show, but we are going to require them to watch three hours of sports every night in order to talk about it. <laughs> right? That would be so embarrassing. And if I was Kyler Murray, but clearly, even though it's embarrassing, they felt like they needed to do that last They wanted year. it in writing, Matt. They felt they like wanted they needed it in a to contract. do it. And so that I, – I, I'd kind of forgotten that till you said it, but that makes me as skeptical about his future as anybody. Me too, because they they clearly felt strongly about it enough to put it in a contract. And again, they walked it back publicly, and they really um, made their statement and saying that they su- support Kyler and that he is a, a prepared quarterback. But there had been durability questions about Kyler before the ACL, and yes. so I just don't know if you are going to move on from Dak. I don't think Kyler Murray is an obvious upgrade at that position. And if you're the Cowboys, you're going to have to give your fan base a little bit more of, I don't know who the answer is, but I don't think that they would be satisfied with Kyler Murray. Uh, One person writes in here and says, Matt, you're giving uh, Michelle a hard time about not having an obsession. Besides Kentucky sports, what is yours? Well, I like pro wrestling. You know, that's a good obsession. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've watched it since I was a kid. Young, uh, like people grappling in the ring. You, are you a pro wrestling person at all? Could I get you into that? I've never watched wrestling once. Stop it. Not that's once. Impo- you're, come on. Not never watched it once. Not one time have you turned wrestling on. Never. Not once. Do you actively avoid it? I mean, it's on television a lot. I usually have to watch games. So I don't have time to watch okay, wrestling. Okay, we have to get you. We have to get you to, <laughs> to watch wrestling. Not I'm not even, anti. I would try it. Do you know any? Do you know wrestlers like you? You know who The Rock is, of right? Course. John Cena, you know? Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Hogan. I, I understand the pop culture and sports connects, and that they are very big deals. But I you've never watched, never watched one match in your entire life. Nope. Well. I'm a part owner of a pro wrestling company. <laughs> We're getting you to a match. Oh, We're getting great. you to a match. Our heavyweight champion right now is named Mr. Pectacular. Doesn't that sound like somebody you would like to watch wrestle? Mr. I have a visual. 
<laughs> Google him. He looks exactly like you think he does. Well, with Mr. a name Fe- like that, he better. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't, that would be a problem. But look, he's, a, he's the champ of uh, OVW. Now, we're going to update you. On the Major League Baseball trade deadline, there has been movement even since this show has started, and there's a big reunion in Houston. It's Canteen Carlin here on ESPN Radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. It's not a rebuild, not a fire sale, it's not a liquidation. This is just a repurposing of, you know, Steve's investment in the club. I can't explain the failure other than to say that maybe Edwin Diaz meant even more to the Mets than we thought he did. I think they want to wipe 2023 from their memory. And when you're going out and trading for young prospects, the focus may be even more on 2025 and 26 now than it is 2024. That was some great word parsing there about this is not a fire sale. It's a rebuild. Nah, kind of the same thing. It's Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. She's Michelle Smallman. I'm Matt Jones, presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, We are giving you the latest trades from the trade deadline. It goes till 6 o'clock. We mentioned Michael Lorenzen traded uh, to the Phillies. We now have another trade. The Brewers acquired left-hand reliever Andrew Chafin in a trade with the Diamondbacks. It's kind of an odd one because both those teams are still kind of in contention for the wild card going against each other. And the Brewers already have a great bullpen, and now they got another guy. So 
I don't know. I don't totally understand that, Michelle, but these teams still making deals here with an hour and a half left. You can never have too much pitching, Matt, especially when it comes to the postseason. You never know what's going to happen. So maybe it's a little bit of insurance for the Brewers. But as a Reds fan, with the Brewers being your main competition there in the NL Central, how do you feel about them going out and making a move? I hate the Brewers. We're three and eleven this year <laughs> against the Brewers. The, the 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 Reds have the best record in baseball since June first. If they didn't play the Brewers, mm. the problem is that they can't they can't beat the Brewers. The Brewers just absolutely crush them. So I don't like them getting better. Um, I've never trusted Milwaukee as a city anyway. Like, what do you it's just, uh, what? Yeah, I mean I don't know. There's just something about it. That everybody's. There's beer everywhere and cheese, and it sounds. It seems like it would be a fun place to be. Bob Euchre is kind of awesome, but I just don't trust him. I, ever since then, and I think it's because the Brewers win every game against. I've been to more Reds losses to the Brewers than a person should be allowed to go to. I think they're literally like the Reds are like one in sixteen in games I go to when they play the Brewers. Well, it seems like it's your fault, and maybe you it should is. stop going to those. Maybe you're bad luck, and I am also. Bad luck. By describing a city as a place with cheese and beer and Bob Euchre, it sounds like paradise. What are you talking about? Yeah, that was a bad description of what's wrong with it. <laughs> oh, I can't, it sound... I can't stand Milwaukee. Cheese, <laughs> beer, ugh, terrible. <laughs> that makes it awesome. Now, the New York Mets are going to have a hard time explaining this season away, but they sent Justin Verlander and $54 million Ooh. to the Astros. Not only sent him the player – Sent him a check for $54 million, according to Bob Nightingale. That's kind of crazy. Uh, That check will go only, though, the total amount if Verlander's option in 2025 becomes vested. So basically what Houston got is a player in Justin Verlander, 19 million of his – or 21 million of his salary paid for, and basically if he ends up having to play 2025, they'll get him for free. Because the the Mets will end up being playing his whole salary. So when you look at it like that, yes, the Astros gave up their number one prospect for Verlander, but it seems like a pretty good deal. I think this is amazing for Houston. You know, after losing Lance McCullers and Luis Garcia for the season, they're only a half game behind the Rangers in the AL West. They need to upgrade that rotation. And Justin Verlander, he didn't have a great start to the season, but over his past seven starts, a 1.49 ERA. He's won there. He's familiar with the organization. He knows that he's coming back there in his quest to win again. I think this is amazing for Houston, and what a disaster for the Mets. Yeah, no kidding. Tim Kirchin, ESPN's Major League Baseball insider, is on the Baseball Tonight trade deadline special. Now, we don't want you to turn this off, but it is on right now. It's on my television screen. And here's what he had to say on the Verlander trade. Verlander's been really good. The last 42 innings, he's allowed six earned runs. Plus, he's only thrown 94 innings the whole year. So, in theory, he's going to be a little bit fresher down the stretch. And they're starting pitching. They have the third best starters ERA in the major leagues this year. And then they add this guy. They have J.P. France, who's come from nowhere to be a really good pitcher for them. Jose Urquidy is now coming back. So, it's... It looks like the Astros are going to make a run. They basically end up taking the top two pitchers from the Mets staff. They did have to give their number one prospect. But as I said earlier, the stats on prospects in deadline trades suggest it's it's a crapshoot, whether or not it works out. So I think if I'm the Astros, I get Justin Verlander for two and a third years. I have to pay him $29 million for those years. 
that's a bargain if I'm them. And if I lose the prospect, well, oh, well. And I don't know how the Mets are trying to to sell this any other way other than we messed up big time. We spent a lot of money, and we got nothing in return for it. I mean, you move David Robertson, you move Max Scherzer, now Verlander is gone. It's, it is a fire sale. You're getting rid of all of your big, valuable assets at the deadline because the season has been a huge failure. And, and their lo- best player has been Tommy Pham, and they're probably going to end up trading him as well uh, through the course of this. I mean, I, I think the team that takes the field here in two or three days is going to be, I don't know, I th- I, Michelle, I think it's going to be probably a, a, a fraction of what it was like on opening day. It's really interesting to me, Matt, to look at these big payroll teams and what they look like at this point in the season. Clearly the Mets' failure. They're they're calling it quits. They're waving the white flag. The Padres are going for it a little bit, which I know that the way they played over the past week was a determining factor for that, but they haven't been a roaring success this year. It's I, I wonder how, because you know sports is a copycat league, how this is going to shift the way decisions might be made moving forward with certain teams because these these big money contracts do not tend to work out well. And we're past the years of we're of buying a World Series. Most yeah. of the teams that win, they draft and develop from within. Yeah, I think also baseball, more than any other sport, is guilty of paying players for what they used to do. Um, and I think what we fa- what's, what baseball has found is the peak production age, if you look historically – the peak production age for a baseball player was like 29, 30, 31. It has, for whatever reason, and somebody smarter than me should figure out what this is, it's now like 27, 28, 29. And most of these teams still have their player under contract rookie deal at that age, unless you've drafted them out of high school. So because of that, I think what you've seen is that these teams have realized why am I paying for a guy that I can get 90% of out of a, of a young player when a, especially there might be a bust? The bust potential is huge for the older players. And back in the – like, I don't know if we're going to see Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander contracts in the future, paying guys that age because that is working out, Michelle, less and less every day. After for a while, it seemed to be the way to go. Yeah, how many of these contracts on the – let's say like the 10 year 300 plus million dollar contracts how many, how many of them work Not how many. many of those work and and what's your definition of work i guess if you get a world series out of one of those you can call it a success right uh, that's what i would at least that's where my barometer would be because that's the goal but usually by year 6 if you're lucky you're talking about a, a decline. It doesn't really work out well. Now, certain guys like Juan Soto, when you're getting paid earlier in your career, I bet you'll pay, see dividends from that. But, yeah, not not great with some of these older players and these massive contracts. It's also interesting to me that I looked up last week, what are the best farm systems in baseball? Okay, like today, team players in the minor leagues. Here were the top four, and I found it fascinating. Number one is still the Baltimore Orioles. Even though they have all these guys in the majors, they still have the best farm system. Number two is the Dodgers, who are obviously great. Number three is the Reds, who even with all the guys they've put up, still have guys in the farm system. And then number four are the Rays. The four teams with the best farm systems also have good teams now, which makes me think 
we're in this era where being the smarter franchise is just going to continue to pay dividends no matter what. Draft and develop. That's what That's you right. need to do. The Astros, by the way, had the worst farm system, and they just traded away their best player. So they will probably be the worst farm system for a while. A two-time World Cup champion has been very critical of the team that she played for. So critical, in fact, that it's becoming a major storyline in the World Cup. We'll deal with that next on Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Ah, like the son of Sam, it's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Michelle Smallman and uh, Matt Jones. Are you a Cypress Hill fan, Michelle? I know this one. You know that one? They play <laughs> just on, uh, I don't know if you ever watched or hear the NPR Tiny Desk yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Where they bring people. The latest one, I think, is uh, Cypress Hill. Just came oh, out like yesterday. Cool. So they can, uh, th- I think most of the ly- the uh, lyrics I cannot read on here. But I think I like that uh, NPR does those. The Juvenile one was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. The Juvenile one was outstanding. Shout out to Manny Fresh, who was there. Oh, Manny Fresh up. was so happy. How happy was he? I was I was just as happy to watch Juvie do the tiny desk as I was to see Manny Fresh there hyping up his boy. When he looked in the camera, and most of you won't know what we're talking about, but when he looked in the <laughs> camera and then just like sh- sh- did a little shake, the, sh- <laughs> the Antoine Walker shimmy, when he did that, that made me very happy. I did it, but thankfully this is radio and you can't see it. <laughs> Carly Lloyd, the former USA women's national team player, uh, is a commentator for Fox Sports. And it's commenting on this year's World Cup. Of course, the women today, this early, early this morning, did a, had a draw with Portugal. They did not win their group, but they advance on for having come in second. And they did not play well. Portugal was a team they had played 14 times and had beaten them 14 times until today. So Carly Lloyd went on Fox Sports coverage, and this is what she said. I have never witnessed, and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk, I have never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between 
being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You're lucky to not be going home right now. She was mad that the players for the United States celebrated after the draw because they had made it to the next round. Carly Lloyd was on the team four years ago. She's, of course, was a great player for her time, but did not play much four years ago and was very vocal criticizing her coach at the time, who is also the coach now. So my question for you is, do you think Carly's comments were out of line or is that just what a commentator is supposed to do, even if she's commenting on players and coaches that she used to play with? I don't think they were out of line at all. I think having a nil-nil, as they say in soccer, draw with Portugal, coming off a 1-1 draw with the Netherlands is disappointing. You're the defending champs. You're going for a three-peat. They should be performing better than this. And Carly Lloyd has been on that uh, on that field. She has been in those locker rooms. She knows these people. She knows this game. She knows the pressure of this tournament. And I understand where she's coming from to say that she would be upset in that moment. She wouldn't necessarily be celebrating or signing with, with the fans and taking selfies and all of that. I, I think her point as a commentator is based on my experience – and I've had a lot of it and a lot of success on this very team, we would be approaching this differently. And maybe that's what we're seeing with the United States right now. Maybe they don't have that same edge that they've had in World Cups of uh, the past. Well, the team and coaches, or at least the coach, did not like the criticism. I'm going to butcher his name, but Vlatko Andonovsky, I believe is the coach's name. He said, did I get that right? I think you did. Nice. Kentucky, we know how to pronounce things. He said, this team wanted to win this game more than anything. To question the mentality of this team, to question the willingness to win, to compete, I think is insane. It's not like we played well by any means. We owned it. We know it's not good enough. We're not happy with our performance, but we qualified for the next round, and we're moving on. I think what you're saying is basically there's a standard. You know, there's a difference. It's it, all right, I'm a college basketball person. There are certain programs that should never storm the court. Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. You should never storm the court. You're supposed to win. Now, if you're a team like Georgia Tech and you upset Duke, storm the court. Have fun, kids. But Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, and Kansas should never storm the court. Storm in the field. Alabama should never storm the field. Ohio State should never storm the field. I think what Carly's saying is, we're the United States. We've won every one of these Women's World Cups but one. We shouldn't be out here celebrating after a draw when we finish second place in our group. Yeah, the the standard should be that we're winning and winning by a large margin to advance, not a draw coming off of another draw. And this is not the first time that she's been critical of not only the specific coach, but of the U.S. women's national team. She talked about Do you think she has a grudge? you think she's got a personal grudge? Well, she said that she hated the last few years of her career on the team because the culture within the team was, quote, the worst I had ever seen it. So I think she's taking her experience of what she viewed the culture to be and seeing them celebrate a draw, and she doesn't think that that's how it should be. So it's in lockstep with what she said in the past. And I also would note, we are more critical of her than we would be a a, a male player that did the same thing. Of course. I mean, we just are. Alexi Lawless says this stuff all the time. Alexi Law, you know, Taylor Twelman, who used to be here at ESPN, he says this stuff all the time. 
But when a woman does it, it's like, how could you criticize your fellow players? I would argue that's her job. I don't know her personally. She may have other things, you know, frustrations or whatever. But on this, I don't think she necessarily did anything wrong. Dan Snyder is out as the owner of the Commanders. But what does that mean for the Washington team heading into the season? That's next here on Candy and Garland. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.